All right, so welcome to the global math department, everyone. My name is Lena Taro, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're gonna to be hearing from Dash Young Saber about the best online teaching tool, socially relevant math. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. I know we have some people that have been here uh, before, but we are always looking for new math teacher friends. So what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. So before I introduce our speaker, let me explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same URL you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll catch your questions for the presenter. So don't worry that the presenter won't notice your question in the chatter. Tonight, our speaker is Dash Young Saver. Several years ago, Dash realized his AP statistics class was irrelevant. So he asked his kids what they wanted to learn about. Soon, he and his students started exploring data sets related to policing and race, food deserts, the Spurs chance of winning the NBA title, immigration, and much more. That year, more students at the school passed the AP stats exam than in the previous 16 years combined. This summer, Dash put these relevant lessons online by launching the Skew the Script website. <coughs> teaching Dash plays the banjo. He's bad at it, but no one can tell because it's the banjo. So I will now turn this evening's presentation over to Dash. All right, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you being here. Um, so again, my name is Dasher Young Saver. I'm an AP stats teacher. I teach in Kip Texas Public Schools. Um, I'm really excited to be here today. So first thing is I would like you to put into chat, what is the best tool you've heard about for online teaching and specifically teaching math? So what's the best tool you've heard about for online teaching with math? I'll wait for those to come into the chat and then we'll discuss. All right, I'm seeing some Desmos and quizzes, a lot of Desmos and your pod, your pod Desmos. Edulinks Braining Camp. Oh, that's cool. I never heard of that one. Padlet, okay. Wait for a couple more. Google Slides, Jamboard, okay. So a lot of great answers there, but none of them are the, the real answer to this question, at least in my view. The answer to this question is relevance. For me, the best tool for teaching online is making lessons relevant. And here's what I mean by that. No matter how much you plan, when teaching online, tech problems are gonna come up. 
And so here's the key. If, if the content of the lesson is irrelevant and boring, those tech problems are going to become an excuse for students to disengage and, and not really be involved. But if the content is relevant and engaging, if they're really into the lesson, if they're just biting at the chomps to, to dive into the content, then tech problems become temporary challenges to surpass and to go forward with as you get into the lesson. So making the lesson compelling and engaging and relevant is, I think, the key. Um, so what I'm gonna do is give you a bit of an example of this. I'm gonna take you through my day one lesson in AP Stats. Um, and you'll see the lesson goes from an example of something that's personally relevant to me to something that's gonna be a little bit more relevant to students. And then a lot of examples are gonna be relevant to students that I teach. Um, so I'm gonna first introduce myself by talking about the personal example, and then I'm gonna introduce the course by talking about what relevant examples might be in this class for students. Also, just for context, I teach in KIPP, Texas Public Schools in San Antonio, Texas, um, and I mostly teach low-income students of color. All right. So I'm gonna get into teacher mode for a second. Okay. I like you. I like to introduce you to Esther. Esther was born in Canada in the 1930s, and her family was immigrated from Eastern Europe. And Esther was Jewish, and this fact is important because um, most of her family, including her various aunts and uncles and many, many cousins, were taken to the Buchenwald concentration camp. I believe out of her seven aunts and uncles all perished there and only one cousin survived. And she and her parents were lucky enough to have escaped and make it to the United States. Now, Esther was able to make a life for herself in the United States and go to college at, at one of the local colleges in New York where she lived. Um, and she eventually became an educator. Now, I know this is all about Esther because Esther is my grandmother. And because of her hard work and the opportunities that her education provided her, she's able to build a great life for my, my father and then for me. And she's been a matriarch in her family for a long time. Now, with that in mind, I want to introduce you to someone who's a personal hero of mine. This is Abraham Wald. And Abraham Wald was a statistician. And he was one of the leaders in the Allied Forces Statistical Research Group. This is a group of mathematicians, statisticians who helped lead the Allied war effort in terms of not fighting, but actually analyzing troop supply and logistical data for the Allied forces to help with the war effort. And well, one reason that Abraham Wald is a, is a hero of mine is a bit of a personal connection. Um, he was also Jewish and he was born in Hungary. He eventually was able to immigrate um, and he was able to escape a lot of the persecution of Jews in his part of his home country. Um, and unfortunately, his family was also not so lucky. Um, they were taken to Auschwitz and most of them perished. And so you have to imagine for, for this man, um, the amount of motivation he had going into his work every day, uh, working for the allied forces. You have to think about, he, thinks and knows his family is maybe somewhere over in Europe and he doesn't exactly know their whereabouts. He doesn't know their condition. He doesn't even know if they're alive. And he knows that with every single problem he does, with every single thing he can do for the allied forces in terms of math and statistical work, it will bring them one day closer potentially to saving his family. 
or at least to find out what happened to them. So with that motivation in mind, try and put yourself in Abraham Wald's shoes as a certain problem comes across your desk and think about how would you solve it? So here's one of those problems that he tackled back during the war. This is called the bullet hole problem. So the British were having a problem with their bombers. They would send them in bombing runs over Germany. And after going on these bombing runs, they would come back and a lot of them were strafed with bullet holes. And they noticed that a lot of planes were getting shot down. Thankfully, they had a reserve of extra armor and they wanted to reinforce the planes with extra armor. Now they asked Abraham Wald, okay, looking at some spray charts, uh, where would you put the armor? We can't put it everywhere because armor is heavy and the planes need to fly and maneuver, but we can put it in one place, where would you put it? So they gave him all these charts of the planes that came back with strafe with bullet holes. And they asked him statistically analyze this and tell us where would you put the armor? So I'm gonna bounce that question out to you. Where would you put the armor among these five options? The nose or the front of the plane? the main wings, the main body, the engines, or the tail. And I want you to look at these six planes as a representative sample and tell me where would you put the armor? Um, and go ahead and put that in chat. I want you to say where you put it and why, and please give me a statistical reason for your answer. We'll wait for those to come in. So again, statistically, where would you put the extra armor? A, B, C, D, or E, and tell me why. Give me a statistical reason for your answer. So Dash, there's a question. Uh, with the, it says, where where were planes hit that crashed? There was a question that Diane asked. It's a very good question, um, and one that I will answer later. All right, seeing a lot of responses come in. And the reason I say I would answer it later is because Abraham Wall wouldn't have known the answer to that question. At least the exact answer. All right. So I'm seeing mostly main body and various reasons for that. People are saying the majority of planes are being hit in the main body. And some people are counting up like this many out of this many hits were in the main body. Some people are saying the tail has most hits. Some people are giving more uh, physics-based aeronautical answers. It needs to be in the engines because you need those. Um, you probably need the wings too or other things, but some people are giving those kinds of explanations. Um, I wanna return to one at the very beginning for a very rare response that I'm not seeing as often. Um, Francis said the nose, the planes that were hit there did not come back. Again, the nose, the planes that were hit there did not come back. So let's think about that for a second. Wald also would have had the same answer. 
And you might be thinking, what the nose? I mean, there's there's no hits there. Why could how could that be the statistical reason? What's the statistical reasoning behind that? So what Wald's great insight was is that this is a sample, representative sample among the planes that came back, the ones that they could actually chart out where they were hit. So these dots represent bullet holes in places where the, the planes can make can take hits but still make it back. We don't see the planes that were hit in certain places and were shot down. And those planes might look something like this. It's a bit of a Rudolph red-nosed reindeer image, uh, but this is his great insight, is that the planes not included within the sample, the ones that went down may have been hit in places that we wouldn't see in the sample that we actually obtained. And that was his great insight. And there was a lot of math behind it, but the real statistical thinking was in thinking about the sampling process, not about the actual number crunching. And that's an important point I wanna bring up for our class. Statistics isn't just about means and modes. It's actually very far from that. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking about evidence and data. And if you use it right, it will empower your voice as it did Wald's. And as I'll show you in further examples here. The plane problem brings up the concept of selection bias. So we're gonna be talking a lot about in this class under different names. Um, and we're gonna think about where might this concept come up in your own life? So here's one example. One student I had in a previous year came out to me with a packet of materials from this place called Southwest Tennessee Community College. And uh, he, he brought them out. He said, look, I, I might wanna go to this place. They sent me this whole packet. Um, and, and he took me to the homepage of their website and the homepage of the website boasted 98.5% of graduates transfer or get full-time work, 91% of which working in their field of study. Now, immediately in, in my mind, this flag went up in my head of, of selection bias. Can you pinpoint where? Where would there be selection bias in that statement? Well, I asked my student this, where do you think there might be some selection bias here? And he was able to immediately identify, oh wait, it's talking about 98.5% of graduates are able to transfer to maybe a four-year college or get full-time work. So we're conditioning it on just the people who graduate. So what about the rest? That brings up the question, how many don't actually graduate? Thankfully, by law, most colleges are have to report uh, the graduation rates and other statistics to this data source here from the government. And so you can actually go to this website and look it up for any college that is in their data system. And Southwest Tennessee was. And after looking up, I found out that only 27% of students had one of these positive outcomes you'd expect from a college, whether that's getting your associate's degree um, or transferring. And so, a high proportion of that 27% probably had some good job or, or transferring or good school outcomes. But what about the other 73% not captured here? Among them, how many have the jobs they're looking for in their field of study? How many have jobs? We don't really know. So this is what I like to call BS. And you all know what BS is. Of course, it's, it's bad statistics. And, and what this class is gonna train you to do in addition to empowering your own voice is to, to think about statements made in the world very clearly with data and, and really interrogate them to see what might be going on underneath the surface. 
statistics gives you the power to have these great insights and to empower your own lives. For example, I had two students, Julius and Hugo, who made a report on the superintendent of our district's use of misleading data. Uh, when the superintendent gave his state of the district speech, uh, they saw his PowerPoint, saw all sorts of misleading statistics about how students were doing so well in places where they might not have been doing so well and wanted to hold them accountable to the community. And so they made a report over a weekend and sent it off to the superintendent. And on Monday, I got uh, some messages from people in his office and uh, it ended up being a very positive thing. Um, but they were, they felt empowered by this because they were able to take the learning from this class and, and think about how are people maybe misleading with their statistics in our community. And one really amazing thing about it is that after some conversations with the district, um, the district actually gave them data science internships over the summer. Um, and Harvard even wrote up a little piece about them working there as data science fellows. Um, so it was really an amazing experience. I also had students that find their own data sets. Um, for example, I had a student named Linda Saucedo who um, was very interested in food in her community. She had been to a grocery store on the other side of town um, in a higher income area and saw that there were all sorts of organic food items offered, but in her own local grocery store, which was of the same chain, uh, there were very few organic items offered. So she went on the website of this chain and looked at all the stores in San Antonio. And for each store, saw the or found the income in that zip code, as well as the number of organic food items they offered, and made a little regression and look at the relationship. And she's able to present this to the broader community. And she felt empowered by this project to be able to talk about this in a more systemic light. Um, and this, this year in this class, I promise you this, we're going to talk about topics that you may be very interested in, that you may have very strong feelings about, that you that may affect your life in big ways. And we're going to talk about them using data in a way that will get you to think through them in a very deep and rigorous level and in a way that will make you feel empowered. Here are the topics we're going to talk about. Race and police use of force, food access in different neighborhoods, immigration, our college admissions statistically fair, income segregation in our own city, how Trump won in 2016 despite what polls said, medical research, valuing the Spurs' chance of winning the NBA Finals. Hasn't happened in a while, but maybe. And much, much more. And beyond that, I have two more promises for you. This class, AP Stats here at our high school, is gonna be the hardest class you'll take in high school. I know that for a fact based on what previous students have said. I also promise you this, it's gonna be the most relevant, engaging, and empowering class that you're gonna take in high school. You're gonna feel your voice lifted and you're gonna feel your mind be made sharp and you're gonna be able to leverage your current strengths to a great audience. So will you join us this semester? So that's my day one lesson. Um, and I have taken my materials that I uh, present in my classes um, and I put it on a website called Skew the Script. If you wanna check it out, it's mostly AP Stat stuff. We're expanding to other materials at the moment, um, but it's all about taking the math concepts and statistical concepts we learn and putting it into a form that teachers can use pretty immediately to talk about real issues. Um, so feel free to check that out. Um, and that's my main presentation, um, but I wanted to uh, 
give some time for questions. If you have any questions about uh, making material relevant or implementing these kinds of lessons or anything else that you might have on your mind. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of questions um, in the chat, although uh, we do have a, a person in the chat. Uh, Tanya says that she used uh, your stuff in the college algebra class that was taught last semester. Um, so we have somebody on here that's used the material and says that works really well. Um, my question for you is, is where do you find um, <laughs> data that, that um, the students can use? Like, you know, like if I decided to try to find, let's say, uh, data on policing um, in Chicago, um, I might be able to find it, but it might be really hard to wade through it. I know when I've looked for real world data, um, I, I sometimes get bogged down in it. So where do you find your data sets? Yeah, it's, it's, I wish I had a straightforward answer to that, but I don't, um, it's, it's a bit unfortunate. So when I, when, so I, I, I kind of choose topics in uh, a systematic way. I'll, I'll poll students, hey, what do you want to learn about? And I'll sift through what they say and find the most popular topics and the ones that I think are gonna be the most impactful to talk about in terms of developing thoughts about um, the social world around them. And then we, um, so one of two things will happen, either I'll go out and find the data set or sometimes uh, in pretty rare occasions, students will come in with their own data. Um, and when I go out and find data, I really look for data sets where I know the source is very legitimate. Um, this could be government agencies or other kinds of entities that are gonna have some uh, backing behind them. And I look for data that you can really make good inferences from or have good insights from uh, using the standards of the course. Um, because there might be some data sets where there's tons of confounding factors that you can try and control through some sort of regression technique or some quasi-experimental method. Um, and we don't have those tools necessarily in AP stats. Um, so I might have to keep looking or slice the data set in such a way that we can maybe make some more meaning of it using the tools that we do have. Um, I think also one big thing is looking at data presented by public officials um, and seeing places where there might be holes in what they're saying and, and students can see those holes using the tools that we've learned already um, or looking at data that's been like very popularized and we can take a look at it ourselves using the tools that we have. Um, when students bring in their own data, um, that's very interesting because um, they might not do the same sort of filtering process that I do thinking about the course in mind because they don't know necessarily what's coming up next um, in terms of what they're about to learn. Um, but they, whenever they do bring in data, I really take great pains to try and make sure we do use it because that's the most relevant it could be. Um, and uh, there was a, a good example where I had a student who um, was very into guns. He, he was uh, NRA member at, at 16 and um, really was all about pro-gun policy and that was like his shtick. Um, and uh, I personally am, am not like that, um, but it's actually a very um, prominent conversation in the community I was teaching in um, about gun policy and, and gun control and um, it's, it's, it's a hot topic and, and one that I think data can help us get some little insights into. Um, so he brought in a data set and I worked with him to try and make sure that we found 
uh, a, a data set that was like his, but came from maybe a more reliable source and that was more analyzable in terms of the tools that we had. Um, and we able to, we were able to make a really good lesson out of it that we did by the end of the year. Um, and it was, I think, really impactful to, to be able to, to talk about the multiple sides of it and talk about how to generalize such results and, and how to really think through it. Um, and it pushed me a little bit too. Um, I think that that can be a, an amazing thing is when the students bring it in. So yeah, it, not unfortunately not a very straightforward answer, but it's- No, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I've actually uh, subscribed to Gallup, uh, the, the Gallup poll organization, and they send me like uh, something in the, my email, my inbox, maybe two or three times a week related to different surveys that they've conducted. Um, and so it's always current. Um, for example, one of one of the surveys talked about um, the percentage of people that said that they, they would get the COVID vaccine. Um, and they talked about it back in April and then May and June. And you can kind of track how things changed um, over time. Um, and they even have one that was done based on the, how the question was worded. Um, could the wording of the question influence whether they said yes or no to it? So um, that's that's an interesting source for um, some data as well. Um, and Francis says, the census, of course, has data. Um, couple questions about uh, look, the lessons. Um, and we might actually... Um, have you share your screen in a minute to show the skew the script uh, website? Sure. Way to do that. Um, so if you want to call up the the skew skew the script website, um, and then at the top there, um, you know where you have your microphone icon, you can actually do sharing of your screen. And if you can't get it to work, let me know because I can always call it up as well. Um, but as, as uh, Dash is pulling up his uh, Skew the Script website, a couple questions people had um, are like, what? how long does a typical lesson take? Um, you know, are, are the lessons you have here for free? And uh, one other question, kind of like, yeah, typical class period or, or what a lesson might look like. Yeah. Um, so this is, every everything on the website is completely free. Um, it's a big... Uh, uh, thing for me is to make sure that everything is as openly accessible as possible. Um, and the way I run my classroom is I do it in a traditional year. So like not an online teaching year, I do a flip classroom um, in which students will watch a 10 to 15 minute video before class where I introduce the context for lesson, the data set, and then analyze it um, and do most uh, a lot of the like kind of pre-work with them. And then when we come to class, I'll always leave the video with a discussion question. And then when we come to class, we, we talk about the discussion question together, maybe do a bit of an activity, and then we go into practice. Um, so lessons generally do take just like a day. Um, and it's like a new context each time, unless there are some lessons and some contexts that you know fit for multiple lessons that are right for each other in terms of uh, the content, um, in which case we'll, we'll kind of take the da same data set and same context over the course of like a week potentially um, in a more traditional format, same thing. You can just use the, the PowerPoints behind the videos, but just kind of direct teach over them in class and have students do the discussion class. And then anytime you have for practice um, in an online setting, we have some Desmos adaptation, adaptations of the lessons. Um, also, you can use the asynchronous video components and then kind of do a live practice session together over uh, some virtual platform like Zoom. Um, so they're very flexible materials and they're meant to like take a day at a time. Um, if not, maybe a block schedule day at a time. Um, so 
to walk through the the materials just a bit to let you see what I'm talking about. Um, here's the homepage of the website. If you want to look at the AP stats lessons, there's a link for that up here. And we have lessons that cover almost all the units AP stats now. I'm still working on the last one. Um, and if you go to a typical lesson, like say uh, the linear regression lesson where my student brought in the data on uh, food access and income in our city, um, if you call up that lesson, there's a video associated with it and it is on YouTube, so it's publicly accessible. Um, and there's a handout that goes along with the lesson um, that students can take guided notes on. And then it has discussion questions as well as some space for practice. Um, and then there's a key for that. So the teacher, you know, you know what students should be filling in and, and where their um, uh, thoughts should be going potentially for the discussion questions. There's often multiple perspectives there in the key. So you can see where students might take it if they're more opinion-based discussion questions. Um, also the slide deck that I use for the videos, you can download to either make your own videos or to present yourself in class. So the slide decks are right here, they look like this. Um, so there's a lot of materials on here, very flexible. The data is also linked as well as some Desmos activities um, for if you want to do this like in a synchronous online format. Um, so it's all there and all free. All right. Uh, I don't know if there's any other questions right now. Um, I know that um, I have uh, Josh's um, skew the script, uh, you know, Desmos lessons in a collection. So um, I'm going to log into my Desmos um, account and I'm going to post the collection in the chat. So if any of you are interested in the, oh, there he's, he's going to share it faster than I am. He's going to, oh, look at that. Yeah. So if you want the full collection, it's right here. Yep. Um, as you're, if you're thinking about using the full collection, let me actually just let's put the link into the chat there. If you want to use the full collection here um, or stuff from it, I would really recommend also going back to the original lesson pages behind them just to get a, a full sense of the context behind the lesson, uh, like the handouts, the videos, etc. Um, so you can get some extra tips as to like framing things, um, which can be very important with these these kinds of lessons. Um, and also, you know, it, it, with Desmos, it's very good for synchronous work. You can also like show the video asynchronously um, and then do some synchronous work with them using those Desmos lessons. Um, but they also can be um, independent lessons in and of themselves. So, yeah. And also, um, once uh, Dash finishes the last lesson or two, if there's some more Desmos related things to that, he'll add that to that collection. So if you've copied his collection there, when he edits that collection, it'll be updated for you as well. So that's uh, one reason why you might want to uh, copy that link for yourself. Yeah, and I should also mention that um, I am actually a bit of a Desmos novice um, and we have all sorts of great partners who are working to Desmosify the site. Um, there's Julie Anker, Joel Bazaire, Abrello White, um, and uh, Stevie Bowden. These are all AP Stats teachers who have just volunteered their time to make some amazing Desmos lessons for uh, adapting this stuff to online learning. And I'm very thankful for, for their help. Um, any other questions uh, for Dash? I think there might be one other question here. No, that was answered. Um, I do not see any other questions here. Um, but if you have um, any questions in the future uh, for Dash, um, how can they reach you? 
Um, you can reach me via email, probably be best. I can type my email to chat okay. right now. Um, and I also would say, you know, uh, the stuff is AP stats lessons. Um, but if you um, want to adapt it for another course, I think a lot of the stuff is adaptable. Um, linear regression unit is Y equals MX plus B essentially. So you can use it in an algebra one kind of context. Um, I've seen people use it for college algebra, for um, a bit with uh, working with functions in various contexts. Um, and also just, uh, you know, at, at lower levels, like working with proportions, um, there's, it's, it, it can be very flexible. Um, and sometimes I've seen teachers take the context and run with them in their own, um, own, own context. So um, feel free to just take and steal and maybe throw us some uh, citation back. But um, yeah, it's all out there. Um, yeah. All right. Um, before I, I wrap up for this evening, um, I just wanted to, to let people know where you can find uh, signing up for the Global Math Department um, newsletters. Um, so if you go to, uh, well, it looks like I was trying to share the screen and it's not loading. Let me try one more time here. So if you go to globalmathdepartment.org, uh, it doesn't want to share. Um, if you go to global math, or maybe it is sharing. Is it sharing now? No, it's being slow. I can um, try and share, would that help? Um, it goes to, if you go to globalmathdepartment.org, scroll down a bit. Um, we can see it now. Okay, now you can see it. If you scroll down a bit, um, you can see uh, the link here to just subscribe to the newsletter. So globalmathdepartment.org, click on subscribe to newsletter, and there's a form there that you can uh, fill out. You can also follow us on Twitter. Um, we do uh, post these uh, presentations within Big Marker, which is the web hosting platform that we use. Uh, but we also put the videos um, of the sessions up on our YouTube channel, which is, um, I think it's just Global Math Department is the YouTube channel name. Um, and we also um, have a podcast for the Global Math Department. So great to, way to uh, listen to the information if you actually will be in your car commuting someday. Um, that's one way you can uh, access the, the uh, presentation. Although, of course, you don't have access to the links or seeing uh, the slides um, in the podcast. So let me stop my screen sharing now. So we are going to um, wrap up. I'd like to um, thank Dash. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Um, and I thank everyone for attending tonight. Um, just so you know, our next presentation is on January 19th, Building Fact Fluency Through Virtual Storytelling by Graham Fletcher. It's a K-5 session. Um, and then last but not least, uh, we. And it, uh, we are looking for Global Math Department webinar attendees to share how the Global Math Department has impacted their work in their classrooms. The, web the webinar is going to be on the last um, Tuesday of, of June. Let me just skip ahead here to this final slide. Um, on June 29th, if you think you're interested in sharing uh, for maybe 10 or 15 minutes about how the Global Math Department webinars have impacted your classroom. Uh, we are interested in having you share with us um, on June 29th. You just need to send us an email to globalmathdepartment at gmail.com. 
so we can uh, create a lineup for that particular session. Um, so we're interested in hearing from people that have attended a webinar live or if you watched a recording and you were able to use that information to improve your classroom teaching, we would love to hear from you on June 29th and uh, have you do a short 10 to 15 minute presentation as part of that session. And also, if you know of any additional speakers, potential speakers, feel free to have them email us or email us also once again at globalmathdepartment at gmail.com. And that is all for this evening. Thank you very much, Dash. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here tonight. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you all for coming. Appreciate it.